This afternoon, I'm going to attempt to talk about uh, Isaiah 57, chapter and the fourth verse. But in it, I'm going to do a little teaching on the word mock. The word mock. Isaiah 57, 4 says, Of whom do you make fun? And against whom do you open your open wide your mouth and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of rebellion, that is, children of sin, the offspring of deceitful of the deceit, who inflame yourselves with lust in pagan rites among the oaks, the terebinth trees, under every green and leafy tree, who slaughter the children and sacrifice in ravines under the clefts of the rocks? Here we have the follow-up on what we were talking yesterday when he says about your adulteresses, uh, about uh, the offspring. He says, The righteous are perish and no man layeth it to heart. Merciful men are taken away and gone, considering that the righteous is taken away. None consider it for, from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. But as it's like he's calling them to him, you know, calling calling an audience to come around closer or whatever, he tells their audience, he says, uh, but draw near hither, ye sons of a sorceress, the seed of adulterers and of the whore. Against whom do you sport yourself? So he called to himself those that were remaining out of the ones that he had taken away. You remember yesterday I was telling about the two seeds in the earth. Well, a majority of the righteous will be pulled away. A lot of the people that are fighting God's battles and so forth, God's taking them away from the evil that's to come. Sometimes God removes those that may not be strong enough or may not fit into that plan, into the battle plan. But he tells the rest of them to draw nigh. In other words, they will be coming through the churches. They'll be gathering toward God's word and hearing it. But he reminds them that you're children of adulterers. You're children, children of whores, born of fornication. In other words, you are that wicked at sea, the devil. Mm-hmm. And you mock God. In other words, you are those that I told you that will feast at the Lord's table there are spots among us. There are people that know God's word, but think God's not going to carry out on his word or treat God as though God's not going to carry out his word upon the earth or carry out judgment upon the earth. So it's not just in the sense of mocking somebody outwardly, but they're the synonyms for mock and talking about mocking because this is in their nature. This is what they're born to do. Notice he didn't try to convert the Pharisees or whatever, and that he didn't preach to them. And at one point, he started even talking to the people in parables. Mm-hmm. Because when God's people hear preaching, when God's people hear the word, they're either converted or God has them their eyes closed for a later time to open their eyes. So the people that are of God and have been in God a while, as the apostles was preaching and teaching, 
they realize that there are seeds of the devil out there. There's people out there that you, you don't try to keep approaching or converting. It may be your children or whatever. And, and God, the word of God tells us that after the second admonition, leave them alone. It may be for somebody else to win them to Christ. It may not be for you to win them to Christ. It may be not for you to do these things. So we have to realize some people are set in their ways and they who they are. Women or men marrying women or men and try to say, well, I can change them or they can change. You can't turn a wolf into a sheep. You might end up with a wolf in sheep's clothing. In other words, he'll get in there and kill some other sheep or whatever. I was telling you the other day, a lot of times you say, well, we're going to invite people into the church. A lot of times these unconverted people and the people that you invite into church without repentance or whatever, those are the very ones that get close to you. And I told you, a lot of times it's the friends and the relatives and the people you know that end up marrying one another. This guy didn't left his wife or this woman in the church or this preacher didn't left the church and ran off with his sister and come in the church or whatever because they start mingling together and telling each other their problems or whatever and you're friends with the people of the world. Those are worldly people. They're unconverted. They're false professors. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. So that person you thought was your best friend, you having them over to your house and all that, next thing you know, they didn't ran off with your husband or your wife or something. Yeah. Most people say, well, the rate, they're married now, but we started off as friends. That used to be my best friend or whatever. So that's why God says you that are friends with the world is an enemy of God. And if you listen at that whole sermon yesterday, it's be careful of the relationships you form. Yes. The associations you form with my neighbors and people in the neighborhood. I see them from a distance and speak, uh, associate, you know, to a certain extent. But I don't take them in a close confidence. They don't ride with me in my cars or whatever. They don't go places. I don't gender the relationship to be any closer than a cordial hello how you doing or whatever so we have to be careful and there are the mockers out there that in the bible they call them sometimes scoffers mock means to treat with contempt or ridicule or deride someone and kids are good for those or whatever but that's why it says i was a child i understood as a child but it's a little bit childish to mock people or deride people or talk people down or always criticizing people. I have to do it. I have to be aware of this myself or whatever because with the way politics is today and religion, it's a lot of false prophets. It's a lot of like our former president that we criticize or talk about. Well, you know, that's mocking and we shouldn't be doing that. We have to see it, not see. We have to be aware of things. We can be aware of that, but you need to put that on the back burner. Don't always let that person be a person of ridicule to you. And without his his statement he's made, if he did make it back to president, he's going to sick the federal government on anybody that had did him anything or whatever. Mm -hmm. See, because what happens, we're in a time that we don't realize what's about to come. Sometimes our mouth, our conversation can get us in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, what I'm saying is truth. Yeah, but it may not be your truth to tell. It may be some things you need to keep quiet about. It says um, to mock people. And, uh, it 
sorry, I said, well, he's just a mama's boy. Uh, he, she's just a daddy's girl. Well, that's to mock or deride someone, and that's, that's not a good champion. But it's become part of our vocabulary of things where we should say, but that's belittling the person that you're saying that about. So I'm just going here in Webster's Dictionary as it's defined what some of the things are marking are. Uh, it's to disappoint the hopes of a person, to disappoint the hopes of a person. That's why in a religion or anything that take away the hopes or whatever, we mock our children and mock people when we say, well, you'll never amount to this or you'll never do this or you can't do this. Uh, the, the one that they have here is uh, for any government to mock men's hopes with mere words and promises and gestures. And we see this in the nation today. In politics, there's no civility. And that's why... There's such a division and no unity because it's not the true spirit of God. Mm-hmm. So when we start to talk about these things, we're starting to see things that we're doing in our everyday life. And that's what the preachers that bark. Well, you remember we were talking about they're silent, they don't bark? Mm-hmm. What are the churches preaching or teaching to those that's within the church? I'm not talking about the ones outside the church because it's commonplace for people to do that that's in the world. But if we're in the church doing that, we need to narrow down on that and say, okay, this is what we're doing that we shouldn't be doing because I'm trying to present y'all without a spot of blemish. And mocking people is wrong, mocking things or whatever. So am I doing things that I shouldn't be doing to cleanse my life and to make me stronger? Maybe that's where some of my strength is. That's the little, uh, what do you call it, weights and sins that's besetting us that we don't see that uh, the little fox is destroying the vines in the things we say because we're having to give account for every idle word and it's, a reason why we're not strong as we should be now. It's a reason we're not physically and spiritually strong as we should be. We talk about age. Joe Biden is 80 years old. He reads from a teleprompter or whatever, but he's moving around. But there's a lot of people that that are not as mentally aware as he is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donald Trump is in his 70s or whatever. And he's up and going or whatever. So we see the age, 70, 80 or whatever, it shouldn't have physical limitations as Moses was 120. His strength, no, eyesight had dissipated. So God's able to heal you or reverse some of the things that's coming up on you because none of that's natural. Death is not natural. Somebody say he died a natural death. And so if God gives us eternal life, Jesus said we have eternal life. And that is we have it right now. So that means there'll be some of us living when Jesus Christ come back that won't taste of death because death is a curse. We're trying to walk in a way to reverse the curse that his kingdom has done in our lives and as his kingdom is done here on earth. So if he died for our sins, he died to heal us, we can get in a place of restoration. And, and I, you know, you wonder what, as God took him when he was in his 30s, 33 years old, or 33 and a half or however old he was. 
But would he have had that strength to look at that same as he gotten older? Because you think about Adam and Abraham. Well, Abraham and his stuff. But those back in the time that lived 400, what happened with 900 some years, Methuselah was not. Those people that lived that long, can you see their body being as frail as the 90 and 80 year old people today? I can't see that. If they were six, seven, eight hundred years old, I don't think that they had free, that was that in that frail a condition. So I think that's part of the curse is the condition that we are living in when we put on that which is uncorruptible. We're corruptible now. So that skin wrinkling and us losing uh, bone density, us losing body mass, all of that's part of aging, and God's going to reverse all of that. I don't think, I think we'll be an eternal state in a body, but I don't think it was be one. Jesus says, touch and feel me, this flesh and bone. So he was in a body. It was a terrestrial body. Not a terrestrial body, it's a spiritual body. He was born again, and that's the kind of body that we'll put on. So to mock also means to defy a challenge. The unstable, strange new world of... Well, let me not give that's an election thing. But to defy a challenge, just as Goliath went out and he was challenging the armies of the, of, of the Lord. And David says, who's this uncircumcised uncircumcised Philistine? Because the defied armies of God is to defy God. It's to challenge God. So when we're challenging and defying things that's scripturally based, if a preacher, if someone tells us something that's in the scripture, and that's why I was telling you on the way here, that it could be scripturally so, but if you defy that, you will have to uh, suffer the consequences. Because you remember Agabus, the prophet, had told Paul that the man who that girdle belonged to, that they was going to bind him in the book of Acts. They said the man that they, go, that they would bind the same way mm-hmm. after he left. Mm-hmm. Well, even though he prophesied that and it did come true, Paul said that God was bidding him to go to Rome anyhow, though. Mm -hmm. So even though the prophecy, it wasn't for him to forego what God had in store for him. See, because to defy God's word or reject or rebel against God's word, what we do to one, we do to all, and what they do to the least of these, he say, you do to me. Yeah. So as you define your parents, who you define? God. Because God told you to honor your parent, and your parents supposed to be doing things to you in a godly manner or whatever, or else they'll suffer the consequences. Mm-hmm. So when you defy God or defy the things of God, then God has to take it up. So it wasn't David. He said David was saying what he was going to do to the Philistines because it was against the apple of God's eye. He says, we're the apple of his eye. So God's not going to let you destroy a vital part of him if we are a body of the Christ, a, a body of Christ. That's why we should do things in the image and likeness of God, what God allows, and knowing that anything come against us 
God has allowed that to come and that we have to suffer. We have to suffer being mocked. We have to be suffer being derided or whatever. So the offense is, is the reason we don't have to retaliate because you hadn't done it to me. You've done it to God. If you do, do crucify the messenger, he's just a messenger of God. Yeah. To imitate someone, uh, it means to mimic uh, like, you know, a mockingbird mimics other birds. A mockingbird can mimic a cardinal or different birds or whatever. And you hear people mimicking other people. That's what a lot of comedians do. They get out and mimic other people, how they talk or whatever. A lot of times people make fun of how other people walk or how they look or whatever. The, that's wrong also. Because God had made them the way they are. God allowed that to happen or whatever. I remember our former president, the, the writers was writing because he was talking about a man that had a deformity and he was doing like the man would do or whatever. And God has it in the Bible. I didn't pull those things about mimicking and setting stumbling blocks before people. So we have to start my grandchildren doing my children did, and I did it. That's one of the evils and the wickedness of children. That's why it says all those things are bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness is bound up in a child. So teasing people is wrong. Belittling people is wrong. And children are very cruel to one another. They're very teased because of the clothes you wear. They're in poverty or something. You're mocking the poor. And God says when you do that, you're setting himself against you. So in our parental raising of our children, if we in the realms of raising them, as God say, we have to take a rod. He says beat him with a rod and drive this stuff out of him. We have to let them know that you're going to be disciplined. It's going to be corporate punishment for you teasing or doing this to other people. My grandson the other day, my daughter was telling me he got somebody put out of the class or whatever because she was telling him about bullying and doing people things or whatever. So the little boy that's much little than him was bothering him or whatever. He went and told the teacher or whatever. And the rest of the children said it was, you know, that he had been doing it to them or whatever. So sometimes we have to go to those in authority. And if God is in authority, if my wife says something to me, I shouldn't talk to argument or fight with her. That's human nature. And that's why I say we have to get that out of us. How many couples argue? How many, cus- cus- how many couples, the d- d- domestic dispute, you, you smile and so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> So sometimes you have to let her win that argument or whatever, but you come in here to God and you go home to God and you tell the problem to the one in authority. Well, I'm trying to do my wife. I love my wife, but this is what she's saying. or This is what he's doing me or whatever. You take the problem to God. Yes. yes. So if the children, my children, one of my boys said, well, daddy, he's doing this. So I have to intervene. If I don't intervene or do something, after a while, they're going to do it themselves. They, you know, say, well, you ain't going to do him. And I said, well, look, let me handle this. You know, I may not do it the same way all the time because he said, well, Marcus would say, well, you need to get Sherman this. He, he said, well, I'm, I'm going to get Sherman. I'm going to teach him a lesson because all you could do is talk to him. Well, I'm, I'm the daddy here. 
I decide which punishment he's going to get. He may need just talking to. I don't need to take my belt and halfway kill him over this year. You know, when he does something that he needs beating about, I'll beat him. So we have to keep order and we have to look to God that he's keeping order in his universe. And that, as David says, David had learned, well, if Simeon is cursing me, God had beat him to curse me. So he cursed after David as David was going along. Everything you have to see is coming from God. So you have to be in in the image and likeness of God, and you can't do these things. So it's good to take a word like this and find out all of the synonyms, but to see that this is not in your life. That's why I say we will have to spend more time studying and see do we see ourselves in the Bible and let that be a mirror to cleanse cleanse us. But those that reject God's word, because he tells us to study to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. But if we don't spend enough time in this word, how many times you've studied over an hour, hour and a half, and look like things start to come to you in order, and you get lost in studying if your mind's really on study. It comes more. But if you just say, well, I'm going to read for five or ten minutes or whatever, you're not going to get very much out of it. Because you're giving God five or ten minutes here or whatever, but you're sitting two or three hours doing this. You see, you sit at the computer on some video game. Three or four hours didn't pass. You know, it's you started at ten, now at four or five o'clock. Oh man, it's late. I didn't know it was this late. Yeah, time does fly if you enthuse it. So in the Word of God, it's a lot of times I can sit there reading and studying. But we need to find out what God's Word says and whatever happens here. In the Book of Proverbs, the seventeenth chapter. Of Proverbs, the fifth verse says, Whoever mocks the poor taunts his maker, and he rejoices at another's disaster, and he that rejoices at another's disaster will not go unpunished. The living says, Mocking the poor is mocking the God who made them. He will punish those who rejoice at others' misfortune. So how many homeless people are there? You say, oh man, you, you know, a girl that's on a Cadian or whatever, in uh, Florida or whatever? You know, do you see and just kind of your heart goes out to it? Do you see your grandchildren or some sister or somebody of yours that that could be, if not, but for the grace of God? So it's a many of people that give a dollar or give us something or whatever. But do is it right to deride and turn your nose up at her and look at it? Mm, she stinks. And see, I bitch and this and that, that. Well, you hear what God saying? We shouldn't do that, and we shouldn't allow our children to do these things. And we should say, thank God that that's not me. That's why the older people, they had us in the mode of saying, but by the grace of God, that go I. So you would mock or tease or or treat a person contemptible. That's treating them contemptible. You remember the lady at this store that they fired that had had it on video, her throwing cold water on the, Mm -hmm. the homeless person? That's treating them with contempt, treating them lightly. It's just like if you're not a smart person or somebody's talking to you and they treat you, oh, yeah, 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 you know, kind of in a sarcastic way or put-down way or whatever, Mm -hmm. to treat someone with contempt or whatever, that's a synonym of mocking. Mm -hmm. Jesus, he says, he saved himself. Let him come down off the cross if he saved others, let him come down off the cross and save himself. 
They tell us that they mocked and scorned him hanging on the cross. Soldiers mocked him and hit him and say, uh, who had hit you, king of the Jews? Who had hit you? Who it was that hit you? So mocking or making fun is not what God has in our, should be in our DNA. And we should see that's part of us that has to be exercised out, that we have to see ourselves and be mindful of this. That's why a lot of times within a family, within a home, when that starts to wake up in you, then your spouse or your brothers or sisters or people that know you say, well, didn't you used to do that in the same thing you do? I was wrong. I don't have to keep saying I was wrong or whatever, but I'm changing. And maybe you should too, but I don't have to tell you maybe you should too, but I'm not going to do that anymore. Yes. I'm not going to do that. I told you the other when you was talking about eating on the way here, uh, the spaghetti, you was just going to eat a little bit or whatever. And I understood that because... That's what I've tried to start doing. Eat a nice meal up in the day, but later don't eat as much. I told my wife the other day, I said, this is how a pie should be cut. In half, then cut the half in half, and then cut each one of those halves in a quarter. It's eight slices in a pie. But if I sit down there and eat a whole half of a pie, a whole quarter, no wonder the doctor's saying that I'm getting borderline for diabetes. No wonder I can't lose as much weight because it's a lot of smart people that determine that this is a serving size. Mm. They tell you this is this many grapes or this many things is what you should eat. But if I sit there and eat the whole bucket or whatever, no wonder the Bible says that's gluttony. So if I'm to see a change in me physically, I have to buffet myself. I have to die to self, self-pleasure. and self. So the same thing spiritually. If I see myself saying things that I shouldn't, uh, when people tell me, well, that's what you, then you have to consciously go back and weigh what that person said. Yes. That's why I say with the scriptures, is, are you weighing it? Is it true? Is it something that God told that person to tell me and that I should take think about it. You just can't dismiss people out of hand. Mm-hmm. You know, your husband or wife, if they keep telling you things or whatever, they shouldn't get disappointed. My daughter was saying something today. I didn't want to deter her or hurt her feelings about it or whatever. And maybe she's right. But what I'm saying is I get this and hopefully I'll do better on this. But I'm trying to say let's handle it a different way. And that way it becomes second nature to us. In other words, now it's first nature. I put this in the front of my mind. You was a reminder to put it in my mind, but now that I'm trusting in God as Charles Stanley, and he's gone now. I used to follow his ministry at one time, but Charles Stanley said, you've never heard him ask for money. And I hadn't of all the years. And he did well. Because God was the supplier. We have to start trusting God that he's going to supply all of our needs. Jude 18 says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. The Amplified says, They used to say to you in the... They, they, they will say to, in the last days that there will be scoffers following after their own ungodly passions. These are the ones who are agitators causing division 
worldly-minded, secular, unspiritual, carnal, merely sensual, unsaved, devoid of the spirit. Now, you have to bring this into the spiritual realm. It's talking about political leaders. It's talking about religious leaders. It's talking about people in secular life. So we need to ask God to lead us and guide us at all times. Because there are preachers and teachers that are always asking for money. They always have something to sell. The, the church is a merchandise, and that's why Jesus says you those was necessary services. It should have been outside the church. The money changes. When people talk about the money change, you know what the money changes would do? They was using exorbitant rates, but the money changes was there for if you came from way off and during the time of Jerusalem thing, those people was from the You'd heard them speak in a different language, their own language thing. They came from way off places. So they had, just like today, different currency. If somebody from France came here, somebody from Canada, and that's why we get quarters and dollars and things into our currency that not like our currency because you have to go get that currency changed into U.S. currency. Right. You have to get money from Germany or Japan or whatever change. So they was converting it. That's what the money changers was doing. But they was charging it exorbitant rates on it. Mm -hmm. So it's not that the money changes was evil. It's not that bankers are evil. But we have to see and go down and break down the scriptures. So we have preachers and teachers, and especially the older ones or whatever, preaching things and bringing things in the scripture that they, that's their own idea, but that it doesn't work, it doesn't convert spiritually. Because if it converted spiritually and the bankers were so wicked or whatever, why did Jesus say in the parable, why didn't you give my money to the bankers or whatever so I could have received interest on it? Why did he say that uh, render unto Caesar what? Because we need governments and governments have to work. So these people that's causing division, that's talking against taxes and all of this, well, if the government doesn't charge taxes, how can a government operate? How can a government pay its bills? Defend the nation, build roads, keep the unity, and he handles the sword for God. But see, you have a agenda of your own, and now you're mocking or deriding or you're bringing down other people. So we need to start staying out of matters that we don't understand or whatever and ask God. You remember what we were talking about yesterday in the book of Timothy when it says, a good soldier don't get entangled in this world's affairs. So when I hear the news of different things going on, well, I, I can't know every detail of that or whatever, but some things I have to leave up to God and to other people. So I've heard it, and if I need to go further, I will, but I have to watch the things that's being said or done I fall into to that category, category of being a scoffer, a uh, mocker, making fun of belittling this. This preacher, God may have told him to say this. Uh, whatever happens, and I'm going against God by belittling him. Or this politician. So I have to be very careful for the words that I speak. We, and since everybody through social media now is given a platform, 
They have so many threads to what you can say, just like with Twitter and all these things. Mm-hmm. So anybody could say things anonymously, or they could put their name up because they are known for making comments or saying something. So everybody has an opinion or a thought. Yeah. Now just think, one of these days you have to give account for that, what you said. You might have thought it was funny. You might have got your five or ten minutes in the sun. But what you said has consequences. This pastor that they say they outed in Mississippi or the mayor or whoever they outed or whatever, and then he committed suicide or whatever. And then some people are saying, well, it's good. It's one less of this and that, that. Does that sound like something God told you to say? But you remember, he says, who do you mock and think your tongue out? In other words, these things you're doing because it was your parents that kill the prophets. It was your parents that did all of this wickedness. You doing that same wickedness, you creating what I wanted you to create, but that may have been a righteous person you killed, but you killed him unrighteously. And so you fixed and fitted in, and I'm going to punish you, even though they are not there again, but the same were we. A lot of us, that's what Paul was telling the Corinthians. We were had sexual problems. A lot of them was homosexuality was rampant in those days. But a lot of the same sins we did, Paul says, such were some of you. So there is repentance, you know. There is repentance. He told David, I put away your sin. Now you've caused my name to blaspheme, but you're not the only man that went with another woman. You're not the only one that then had somebody kill over it. But now you have to pay for your sin. The sword will never leave your house. There are consequences. So God's saying, look at your life. Can you see your life? Maybe you, you got some of this from your parent. Your parent was an adulterer or a fornicator. Gomer was that way. Hosea had married that type woman. God had told him to marry that type woman. He says, go marry Gomer. But then he said, those are not my children. God says, those that are not my children. And he typed and shouted in the New Testament. He says, the children of the kingdom shall be kicked out. Publicans and harlots will go in before you will. So it's like Mary Magdalene and all of the rest of them. The adulterous woman that he told, go and sin no more. Your sins were forgiven. So there are some that repent and turn, realize what they are, who they are, and they stop. They used, Paul used to mock Christians and talk about it. He was the one who hold the coast when they stoned Stephen. But see, you have to distance yourself from who you formerly were. You have to put that man to death. You have to put him to death. We see the mocking of... Uh, in 2 Chronicles 30 and 16, it says, The Lord God of their father sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God and despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. You know what they told Isaiah. You keep preaching the same thing to us like we little children. Line up on line. Precept up on precept. He'll lay down a little. Every day, all these years, you come out saying the same old thing. Well, you, you belittling him. You scoffering him. 
You're mocking him. You're saying the same old thing over and over. You got to do this. You got to do that. Well, maybe God has sent Elder Wade to preach Acts 2.38 all the time. That's all he did or whatever. But I shouldn't have been what other people said. Or he come on, you know, people, when he get ready for you, oh, he come on Acts 2.38 or whatever. Somebody may have needed that. We need to learn to stop talking and murmuring and complaining. We need to watch the things that we say. We need to be slow to speak, quick to hear. It's too much noise in the world. Nehemiah 4 and 1, uh, where they were ridiculing Nehemiah when he was trying to rebuild the wall. They say, look at that little wall. If a fox stand up on it, it would fall. They ridicule Noah when he was building the ark. They talk about any work or any deeds. You, well, that, you go to that old church, uh, look at that old Cardi ride, and look at what he's trying to do. You, you ridicule and belittle, and that's part of what's bringing you down. That's the death. That's the consequences because God has set in motion. God, it, what it says, God is not mocked. That which a man soweth, he shall reap. Is that, that not what he said? In other words, you can't get rid of that what you say. If you sow to the flesh, all of that, you, you said that to be funny and all that. Well, who's funny now? When it happened to you, when that shoe is on the other foot. So you talk about this person, you talk about that person. You criticize and down these people. Well, sooner or later, God's going to send somebody in that's going to tell you, look, we shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. We're just the same. Thing. So when that starts to happen, maybe God has somebody that starts to stand up. And that's the thing about it. We don't have preachers that stand up and tell the congregation or tell the people. You have to bark. You have to warn them. You have to stand up and warn the people. I'm talking to the church. But see, what happens to preachers get in the church and talk about the people outside the church, well, that's what you call a clique. When your group talks against this group, that's what's going on within the Republican Party. The ultra-conservative, the MAGA Republicans are talking about the other Republicans. They're calling them rhinos. They're calling them Republican in name only. They're mocking one another. It's a fight in divisions. But they have sowed chaos and division. That's what you're going to reap. So if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap in the flesh. If you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap in the spirit. So we're trying to teach you to stick in your sickle and reap. For the harvest is ready. But we just need to walk therein to start reaping the benefits of it. Uh, Psalm 22 and 7 says, this is Jesus on the cross. He says, all who see me laugh at me and mock me. They insultingly open their lips. They shake their heads saying, he trusted and committed himself to the Lord. Let him save him. Let him rescue him now because he delights in him. That was Jesus on the cross. See, a lot of times, you know, you're giving to the church and you're doing these things and people say, well, he's doing this and let him do that for himself or whatever. Well, no, that's your job. You're supposed to give to the church. You're supposed to give to God. You're supposed to take care of your family. You're supposed to put your family first. Uh, some men say, well, no, I got to put this on myself. Well, yeah, you need to be able to take care of yourself to an extent, but not to the part of self-pleasure 
as the leader, uh, as the husband, or as the person in that position, you should be willing to sacrifice for the benefit of the comfort of the others. Yes. In other words, you should have your children and your wife and everything taken care of before you would lavish something on yourself. Because Acts 17 and 32 says, Now when they heard the term resurrection from the dead, some mocked and sneered, but others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So when we out witnessing or we talking about the resurrection, there will be Sadducees out there that don't believe in the resurrection, that believe in the hearing. Now, there's a lot of people in different religions, their belief systems has changed. But you're to speak of the word of God and the promises of God if you've received from God. No matter how they talk about it, sometimes if you believe in the Sabbath, a lot of people say, well, that was old, that was old or whatever. And this is the way that's changed. If God doesn't change your mind, don't let man change your mind. You have to stand up on the word of God and look for the old ways. Look for the old past that bring you to God. Uh, mocking. Uh, is this? We see where Ishmael mocks Sarah in the book of Genesis. Uh, Ishmael was old enough to know better than to ridicule or tease his younger brother. And his behavior was inappropriate and thoughtless. Sarah looked out and seen him mocking Ishmael, Ishmael mocking Isaac. And he told her that the bondwoman's servant sons couldn't be there with her son. And that's when Abraham had to put Hagar out. Now, apparently, Ishmael was much stronger. He's probably about 14 or 15. He was much older, 10 or 14 years older than Isaac was. Mm Mm-hmm. But what Isaac probably was coming of age then, but we see that Isaac more or less probably was a weaker boy. Hmm. He more or less probably was a mama's boy. I, I just not said about saying mama's boy. <laughs> but in other words, mm-hmm. he was kind of like Jacob. Because you see, Isaac, you don't you don't hear much of what Isaac did except that he planted during a time of drought and he reaped a hundredfold because he was obedient to God. But we see Jacob staying around the house cooking and doing these other things and he was a scoundrel or whatever. He was more or less a mama's boy, whereas Esau was a man's man. You know, Jacob... He uh, he telling said, "Well, go get me some of that." Isaac liked it. Esau's venison or whatever. He was a rough, hairy man. He was a sportsman or whatever. Yeah. So, Isaac may have been more frail. Isaac may have. We don't know the things. And and like I said, I don't want to go down that line of telling you what all I've read and researched on Isaac, but. He probably wasn't that because, like I said, you don't hear much of Isaac in the Bible except that he was the son of the promise. He was the promised seed. We know that Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal. You remember he was mocking them, saying you have to shout louder. Maybe Baal had went to the bathroom or he's on a journey or whatever. One says that he may be, you know, sleeping and 
different versions say different things about Baal, but he was mocking the false prophets or whatever. So we see here where Elijah mocked them, but remember Elijah was mocked a few times in his life. Just like David's prayers of imprecations, a lot of things also happen today. So before we call down a curse upon someone, we have to realize is God pronouncing this curse and telling us to do it. Uh, we remember the boys that was mocking Elisha and a bear came out and slew 40 of the 40 some boys of the children. And they, when they say children, we're talking probably about 17, 15 years old. It wasn't baby children. But when they say children, they were talking about younger children. So we talked about the mocking of uh, Jesus on the cross. They mocked him on the cross. The Ammonites mocked God in the book of Ezekiel, the 25th chapter, in the first to the seventh verse. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the Ammonites and prophesy against them, and say to the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord God. For thus says the Lord God, because you said, Aha! You know, in other words, in a mocking gesture against the sanctuary of God when it was profane, and against the land of Israel when it was desolate, and against the house of Judah when they went into exile. You remember, Israel went out, was lost. The Syrian took them and scattered them, and that was the lost tribes. Judah was taken off into captivity. And here Babylon, I mean, Assyria cheering this on. Assyria, the Ammonites was glad at this. And that's why I say, same thing happened with Edom. They laughed at the calamity that Jacob was having. When your enemy... God tells you when something's happened to your enemy and you rejoicing and laughing at it, sometimes he lightens up on your enemy. Mm -hmm. He'll lighten up on your enemy. So that's why I say we have to be careful in doing that. But this was the Ammonites was doing when Israel was lost, Judah went into captivity, and the sanctuary, remember they told us Jerusalem temple up. They destroyed the Jerusalem temple. And they was glad of it. They were saying, aha, that, you know, they was mocking God at that time for rejoicing in that or whatever. But he says, I am telling, I'm going, therefore I'm going to, to give you to the people of the East as a possession. And they will set their encampments against you and among you and make your dwellings their dwellings. They will eat your fruit and drink and your, and drink your milk. I will make Rabba your chief city a pasture for camels and the cities of the Ammonites a resting place for the flocks of sheep. And you will know without any doubt that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, because you've clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced with all the contempt and malice and in spite of your soul and spite of your soul against the land of Israel. Therefore, behold, I've stretched out my hand against you and I will hand you over as prey and spoil to the nations, and I will cut you off from the peoples and will cause you to perish from the countries. I will destroy you. Then you shall know without any doubt that I am the Lord. So when you see things happening to other people and you rejoice, just like right now, they said they was going to give 16 or $14 billion to Israel to help them in the fight against the Palestinians. How many of us are bewailing and not rejoicing at, at the 
thousands of Palestinians that's being murdered. The civilians, the babies and things in the hospital, they say, well, these babies could be moved. Some of these people could be moved. Uh, Sometimes you're in a hospital, you can't be moved. Sometimes some of those people can't be moved. But are we as God's people to take sides and rejoice and say, oh, we with Israel, let them destroy them. Let them nuke them. Let them blow them off the map. Are we to look at Ukraine or whatever? Are we to moan and sigh for the things going on in the earth and in the world? Shouldn't we be of those that's doing those things? We should be a people that's on our knees, a people that are becoming more flesh-hearted, God's writing his laws, more empathetic to others, to the plight of others. But due to TV and social media, we've been become more desensitized to yeah. violence. Yeah. We've become more just dismissive of even world news to seeing what's going on in the world, of even caring. Tyre, Tyre was, was mocked uh, Jerusalem, and this is what God says to them. Ezekiel 26, chapter, first through the seventh verse. Another message he says, send to Tyre. Uh, on the first day of the month and eleven years, son of man, Tyre has rejoiced over the fall of Jerusalem, saying, aha, saying, ha, she who controlled the lucrative north-south trade routes along the coast and along the course of Jordan River has been broken and have fallen air because she has been laid waste. I shall become wealthy. Therefore, the Lord God says, I stand against you, Tyre. I will bring nations against you like ocean waves. They will destroy the walls of Tyre and tear down her towers. I will scrape away her soil and make her a bare rock. I will... uh, her island also shall become uninhabited, a place of fishermen to spread their nets for us. I have spoken, it says the Lord God. Tyre shall become the prey, prey of many nations, and her mainland shall perish by the sword, and they shall know that I am the Lord. The miracle that was worked here with Tyre, it was a fishing village. You know, if, a lot, if you read or research a lot of biblical literature and read about Tyre, you'll see that there was a fishing community. And when he says here, it says that they will, I will destroy the walls of Tyre and tear down the towers. I will scrape away her soil and make her a bare rock. Yes. What happened when Alexander the Great came in, mm-hmm. he destroyed the coastal plain, all of the merchandising part of that. But since Tyre was an island off in the ocean, they moved all of their resources there on ships and things so they wouldn't get to them. But what Alexander did, he tore down the buildings, the rubble and everything, and with that he built a causeway. He built a causeway to the island of Tyre. He scraped up all of that rubble and soil and stuff, put it in the ocean, and made his way to Tyre to decimate Tyre. God's word, see, that's what I say. If we would not take his word lightly, if we wouldn't be skeptical of his word, and and I'll go over these synonyms for those that's mocking God, 
by challenging his word. That's a challenge of his word, not believing in the resurrection. Um, among his own disciples now, are you listening? Yes. Among his own disciples, doubting Thomas when they told him that Jesus was resurrected. Didn't he doubt? Didn't he say, I shall? Yeah, he did. He said, I shall not believe it unless I see the wounds in his hand. Yes. Now, Jesus heard him say that. And that's when Jesus came. And when he came, he says, Thomas, look at me, handle me. See, he heard him. He wasn't there, but he knew what he had said. He wasn't believing that. See, and those wounds will be there because he says, those are the marks I were wounded in the house of my enemy. Those are, those are, are, are memorials of what he suffered went through for us. Yeah. Uh, so Judah is warned. The wicked is warned. And the wicked has become hard-hearted. In the book of Isaiah where it says, Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you arrogant men who rule the people who are in Jerusalem. Now this is the church. This is each people he's talking to. Because you have said we've made a covenant with death and with Sheol. Uh, I might need to read this in the living. He says, You have struck a bargain with death. You say, and you say, and sold yourself to the devil in exchange for his protection against the Assyrians. They can never touch us, you say, for we are under the care of one who will deceive and fool them. But the Lord God says, see, I'm placing a foundation stone in Zion, a firm, tested, precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. He who believes need never run away again. I will take the line and the plummet of justice to check the foundation wall. It looks so fine, but it's so weak. A storm of hell will knock it down. The enemy will come in like a flood and sweep it away and you will be drowned. I will cancel your agreement of compromise with death and the devil. So when the terrible enemy comes in, you will be trampled to the ground. And again and again, that flood will come and carry you off until at the last unmixed horror of truth of my warnings will finally dawn on you. The bed you have made is far too short to lie on. The blankets are too narrow to cover you. The Lord will come suddenly and in his anger as, a, as at Mount Perizim and Gibeon to do a strange, unusual thing, to destroy his own people. That's what happened when Babylon was coming in. They were saying you couldn't destroy Jerusalem. That's what God does. That's why in Revelation, we shouldn't take it lightly when he says he's going to come in and fight against the church. Because the church has become Babylon, parts of the church. Let me say that great-hearted Babylon. In other words, the church has apostatized. In mocking God, it means to imitate a mimic. They've made another Jesus. They've made a covenant with Jesus, this other Jesus, to the death. Paul said, this is another Jesus now that they're standing on, not the true Jesus, not Christianity, as it should be. And it's Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, that's going to come in against this Antichrist because Antichrist is mocking God. It's another Jesus in place. It's mimicking the real Jesus. In other words, it's a national Christianity that's linked to the government. And that's what I was trying to tell you politically. Christianity has linked itself 
to the world political order. That's why in this you hear our Speaker of the House coming in, believing in national Christianity. The government is uniting, and, and I do take this guy at his word, that as he come in, he's going to order about political retribution on his enemies. You will kill others and do these things thinking you do God a favor. Now, I'm going to go a little bit deeper into this Wednesday because we're not understanding that God is allowing us and turning us over to our own delusions and this Christianity that's been going about throughout the world, it has underpinnings of the true Christianity. But it's this lamb, it's this little horn that's looking like Jesus. But the problem is the lamb has a horn. The problem is that we have those that are not studying God's word and are indeed mocking God. So that's why I say, be careful that your own words don't condemn you. That's what the scripture says. Your own words shall condemn you because he's condemning sin in the flesh. And I give you several scriptures that he says in Revelation Unless it repents, he's going to come back and fight against the church. We're looking at a spiritual battle here and in. But he's going to end up bruising the head of the serpent here. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this day, Lord God, help us to walk in your way, Lord God, to walk.